0: Hello, this is Prevention Works, conversations all about the prevention of Australia's increasing burden of lifestyle related chronic disease. And it comes from the Australian Prevention Partnership Centre. They bring together policymakers, researchers, and practitioners to look at what works and what doesn't to turn the tide and create a healthier population. I'm Gretchen Miller and today we're going to talk about communities in Sydney's Campbelltown and the New South Wales city of Wagga. And we're looking at a situation you might not have thought possible in the city. Food insecurity is a live issue for many of the families there and it has an ongoing impact on physical health. You'll find all sorts of things are at play, from public transport to urban design to food affordability and mental health. But action-based research from the Prevention Centre and a passionate community centre is changing all that. With us today is Daryl Wright, a Dungutty man from Kempsey in the Maclay region and the Chief Executive Officer at Tharawal Aboriginal Corporation in Campbelltown. And he also oversees the local AMS, the Aboriginal Medical Service. And we're with Sumitra Mattia, a nutritional epidemiologist researching food insecurity in urban Aboriginal communities. And she also leads a larger project called SEARCH, the Study of Environment on Aboriginal Resilience and Child Health. And that's Australia's longest large-term study of the health and well-being of urban Aboriginal children. As well, we've got Simone Sheriff, project officer with Search, and Simone grew up in Wagga and is a Bullock woman from the Wimmera region of northwest Victoria. Let's start with you, Daryl. If you live in Airds, which is a district of Campbelltown, what's available to you at the moment in terms of local shops?
1: Well, there's nothing really. There's a tin shed there with things that did, it's all tins. But there's no food you know and that food is terrible and the, the fruit and vegetables is not worth putting on your plate and then they got the fast takeaway stuff you know it's unbelievable you have to go about uh, five miles to get food and if you're going to want to go there you have to go by bus if you haven't got a car which is an hour and a half so it's all those sort of issues that we've faced with.
2: Yeah, as Sarah was saying like the IGA is it's IGA isn't it down in Airds? It's like really really bad. I've been there. The food's so expensive. The fruit and vegetables aren't even fresh. Like I've been there, and some of them are rotten. And they're still trying to sell them to the community. And as Sarah was saying, if people families want to be able to get to the good food shops like Aldi, Woolworths, Coles, it's like five kilometres, which doesn't sound far, but if you don't have a car, you have to catch the bus. It's like a long way on the bus because it's not direct to go there. So it's really hard for families if that's your only shop you can physically get to by walking. How often does the bus run
1: I think it's every if it turns up and
2: yeah. then I guess you've got to get the kids on the bus yeah. yeah and the bus stop who knows where the bus stop is in relative to your house so you might have to lug five kids down to the bus stop and then when you come home you have to walk 500 meters with all your groceries and your five kids back home it's just not ideal. Daryl paint me a picture of
0: your community and maybe Sumitra you can jump in here as well who are you looking after what's the makeup of your community how old are they where do they live?
1: Campbelltown, is, years ago, was classed as a resettlement village where they transferred people from all over the state and they treat our brittle communities out of sight, out of mind. Mm. It's sad.
0: So Campbelltown has a big history yeah. with Indigenous people, oh, yeah.
1: yeah. A lot of, it's the second largest community in Australia, outside of uh, Western Sydney, Mount Druitt, Penrith. Mm. We have about... 150 to 200 elders, and you're talking between uh, 70 and 85. They're and they're all active at the centre. They're so important to us because they they're like butterflies. They fly in, sit down, and talk to staff, laugh, have a joke, and fly out again. And that's create the activities and the, and the wellbeing and the atmosphere.
3: So all these issues that Simone and Daryl have mentioned are big deterrents to going and fetching healthy yeah.
2: food. You may as well just get what's around the corner and be done with it. Getting pizza delivered to your house seems like a better option, doesn't it, than having to you know, lug all your kids out all day and do the groceries. Simone, let me ask you what the current research is that's funded by the Prevention Centre. What's it all about? I think we are aware of a lot of the problems that are going on but there's been no evidence to kind of support being able to get funding or services to help improve this and so yeah search and the partnership center along with the ams's said we needed to be able to talk to some of the families aboriginal health workers elders and other stakeholders in the community to find out exactly what's going on in the community and kind of map out a picture of what services are currently available, what the barriers are for getting healthy food and having it available. And then the next step was to try and bring some of the families, some of the health workers, elders and stakeholders together in a room and brainstorm some ideas of what we could do to help improve it for the communities. What really
3: surprised me was that a large proportion of Aboriginal families reported that they run out of food before every payday, which is a fortnight, and so they can't afford to buy every few days in a month. So you weren't expecting to find that level of disadvantage? Almost every family we interviewed describes some level of food
2: insecurity. I think the problems that we found in Campbelltown and in Wagga have been quite similar in terms of the accessibility to be able to get to the shops and the kind of shops that are available in the area, that's been quite similar, I think. It was surprising to hear now some of the local fast food takeaway shops are doing free delivery of hot chips. You can just ring up and order like $2 worth of hot chips and they'll deliver it to your house for free. And so that was kind of surprising that those kind of things are available now. So there is a long
0: list of pressures impacting on healthy eating in this community, of
3: interrelated pressures. Could you run some of that by me? I think the central issue is the cost of food. It's probably going to be more than 50% of the problem. And as I mentioned before, the cost of food relative to disposable income is a big problem. Whether it's healthy, unhealthy food, food is expensive. That's the number one problem. The second issue is that food is available, but you can't get to it. You know, you can have all the best fresh vegetable, fruit, meat, all the nice food available, five kilometers away. But getting to it becomes a problem because of no car, having a large family, having to lug them on a bus. That is the second big issue. And there are other issues around cultural um, practices where children are not willing to eat healthy food because of the way it is cooked or how it tastes. So parents are not motivated to cook when the kids won't eat it. And I think another very important issue is the fact that our environment is unhealthy. We surround ourselves with unhealthy food outlets. The worst kind of food you can feed our kids high in fat, sugar, salt. And then we ask them to eat healthy. There is a responsibility that we as a society should take to make sure that we make our environment healthy. Because if constantly we are faced with an easy option of a KFC or a McDonald's, just five-minute walk from our house, why would I take the trouble to go to the market, buy
2: the food, prepare it and cook it? You know, we should think about that. There seems to be some kind of breakdown. They don't know how to cook really cheap, healthy foods. Like growing up, your grandma and stuff used to cook healthy stews and soups and everything that probably cost hardly anything to make.
1: And the other thing is that we're trying to encourage our community to be aware of what you can do at home. Little garden for your Your own vegetables in particular which grows better than fruit and we do that at work we've got a community garden there and we teach them and 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 even with the kids bring the kids to clean up the garden do the weeding and put a seed in that's your seed to watch it grow and it's quite surprised when they see this after a couple of days it comes up so it's educating the kids at the early age it's so important
0: this is the Prevention Works podcast. Stay with us as we discuss the ongoing health impacts of something as simple as not having a good shop nearby or basic public transport.
3: Sumitra Mataya, nutritional epidemiologist and research leader. It would surprise many to hear that 75% of the Aboriginal population lives in non-remote areas and 60% of the disease gap between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people is attributed to this population. What do you mean by disease gap? So there is a life expectancy gap of 10 years between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people. Aboriginal people have higher mortality, morbidity, all of which link to Uh, poorer health outcomes, and all of this encompasses the disease gap. And there is data to show that 20% of Aboriginal people in non-remote areas is food insecure. 20%. Okay, so that's one-fifth of
0: Aboriginal families are dealing with a shortage of food regularly. What's the medical and
3: health impact of knowing that you're going to be short of food? There is a large body of evidence highlighting the negative impact of mild to moderate food insecurity and it really links to diet sensitive chronic diseases. So it starts with obesity and goes anywhere to cardiovascular disease, renal disease. There's a clear pathway that's showing up as we look at more and more data and that is where our project comes in. We want to address food insecurity and thereby improve the health of our children and their families. Children exposed to food insecurity uh, experience more acute health consequences compared to adults and we have also found in SEARCH that children as young as 2 to 10 years of age already are overweight and obese, about 30% of them. The problem begins very early in life and that is why SEARCH is focusing on improving the health of children and one of the areas we are addressing is obesity through improved food security. So
2: if you improve food security you're less likely to be obese. Why is that Simone? You know in families they don't have as much money in things you're often buying things that are going to fill up your family or you know as the saying like clog up your family so lots of white bread and chips and potatoes that you know are going to be really filling and cheap and affordable and so then obviously it leads to not having as good health because you're not getting the right fruit and vegetables and lean meats and everything.
3: Data from search
2: has shown that Emotionally distressed children eat
3: far fewer vegetables. It's not surprising, but we actually have found the link between emotional distress and poor eating. But what makes the Aboriginal kids more unhealthy is the fact that they are more obese than overweight proportionally when compared to non-Aboriginal kids. So the proportion of children with obesity keeps increasing relative to non-Aboriginal kids as they age. So that is a clear indication to us that it's a problem that is getting more acute uh, in early life and continues into adolescence. And by then, their food habits are set, their activity levels are set, they're in a vicious cycle, and we want to break that cycle as early in life as possible.
0: I can imagine that if you don't always have money for food, if you know that you're going to run out, that would surely lead to a sort of a state of mental health makes it very difficult to make the choice to
3: go and actually cook something. So Aboriginal adults and families who can't afford to eat healthy food over a long period of time uh, end up feeling unwell, both physically and mentally, and that can actually, over, over a period of time, can make you feel really down. Even if we know that if we don't eat well over a period of time, we, we feel really um, mentally and physically unwell. On the other hand, being depressed and having to face all the difficulties around unemployment, other challenges uh, in the family can make you demotivated. You you don't want to go out and get yourself fresh, healthy food to make yourself well. It's just a cycle that makes it worse and worse.
1: And that's again what we try to do at Darul is to encourage people to come because we've got a nutritionist that works with us and that's growing all the time, the, the class. And there a little research out of that saying that they're cooking healthy for the kids and it, they're losing weight and they're enjoying it. And I think that's important part of it, that we we'll continue that, not only with our mums and dads, everyone. I
2: think it's been uh, really great as Daryl was talking about before those healthy fruit and veg boxes that they've set up at Thoroughwell now they don't just give out the healthy fruit and vegetables you know people pay $20 and they get it delivered but they also give them recipes and things and they can come in and learn how to cook them so I think as Darryl was saying it's been really successful like not just giving people the fruit and vegetables and say here you go do whatever with it but actually teaching them how to actually use them and cook them and yeah it's been really successful and yeah.
1: I mean the, the important thing that we needed to do is make an individual strong and make them feel about, good about themselves before they can explore other things, and even with their families. If you can't, My grandmother always said to me, she said, you get the mum's head right, you know that the family is on track. So that's why it's important that we deal with the, the mums, and make the mums strong. Because, you know, when the mum comes to the medical service, she just not bring herself, she brings all her grandchildren with her. And that's important for us.
2: What are some of the other pressures that happen for Indigenous families? I think as well, like... A lot of people don't understand yeah. that sometimes they talk about like the amount of money or food you have for your household, but in Aboriginal families, you're not just feeding the people who are literally living in your household, you're often providing for extended family yeah. and friends and things as well, so it puts more financial pressure on that person as well, and also like people have funerals and things, and unexpected things come up where suddenly you have all these people staying at your house that you didn't expect, and that's another reason why people sometimes will run out of food and money. And we've been doing these interviews, talking to families as well. Like there's, um, you know, a lot of people who are saying that they're they're working, but they feel like they're like working poor kind of people because they're saying like they can't get access to some of the services like food vouchers or charity things like that because they work, they don't have a um, healthcare card, and they feel like yeah they're struggling just the same as the people who aren't working. So that's been quite challenging as well. Like what do we do for these kind of people because they can't access some of the charities and things where they don't have healthcare cards? So yeah, they feel quite even more disadvantaged sometimes.
0: You're with Prevention Works, and shortly the Australian Prevention Partnership Centre researchers talk about how to do it better. It is possible to improve things, even as you're doing the research and making a long-term commitment to the communities you work with.
1: It's true, and we've always had that issue in the back of our minds, Aboriginal people, particularly in AMSs, where we, we didn't have control of the data, so the universities or the other agencies will do what they wanted to do with it and be going, go and do their PhDs and all that sort of stuff. But the other thing that we're concerned about too is no money comes with research. So if there's any change of direction within the medical service in terms of all the stuff and all the data that's coming out, we have to carry that load. I think
2: it's so nice to be able to see this change that's happened where still there's so many people that want to do the research but the communities have the power now to you know say no if there's not going to be any benefits for them like it so it's nice to be able to see that change
3: i think search has been unique in that right from the very beginning there has been a clear understanding that the data belongs to the community they own it and from the very beginning data has been collected by aboriginal researchers in search and it is shared with the entire partnership and data is constantly fed back and interpreted by the community, and we make our decisions based on that. Sumi, what are you finding that you
0: think are are realistic and great solutions coming out of the community?
3: Since there are problems with both the availability and accessibility of healthy food, I think the suggestion to have a pop-up grocer or a mobile shop which comes around to your suburb, bringing subsidised vegetables and fruit and other healthy food um, might be a great solution in the interim before the neighbourhood gets better shops that supply healthy food. I think that addresses both the availability and accessibility issue. In terms of cost, I think the subsidy is the way to go. Tarol for instance, supplies vegetable and fruit boxes for $15 and takes it to the family homes but if we have a truck that comes around and it can benefit more families. What about other transport options?
2: Yeah at the AMS's in terms of other services as well like that was one of the big barriers like in a lot of the communities like if you want to be able to get to different specialists and things you don't have transport you can't get there and so the AMS is now like Thoroughall, they have their own transport and they'll bring you, pick you up from your house, bring you there. And so it'd be really good as well if we could have some kind of transport available to be able to get families to go to the supermarket and then bring them home again so they don't have to rely on the bus service that, you know, it could take nearly two hours one way just to get there to do their shopping. So, yeah, a lot of families have said that if there was some kind of shuttle bus, they could pay like a couple of dollars or if it was free to be able to take them to do their grocery shopping. Um, And it could just be, you know, that it leaves even once a day or something at a certain time, but at least people know that uh, that option is there for them. Yeah, I think that would be really good.
3: One of the Aboriginal elders mentioned that often families take the trolley to the shops and just fill it. They don't even think about what will I eat for the next four days and can I plan and buy the required food and then use them. And contrary to that, a lot of families, when they get their pay, they fill their trolleys with just about anything, And a few days later, food starts to go off. And that's also why they often run out of food. So a lot of help around how to budget, how to plan, how to get the right food and how to store would be very helpful. How realistic is
0: it that some of those solutions are going to come to bear out of your research?
3: We are looking at a range of potential solutions which is why we started talking to the community first, because there's so little information about what are the real issues the community is facing. We can go in and do a whole lot of things and come to nothing. So we've now received critical information around the key areas where the communities are struggling, and we're also talking to people who are stakeholders in this whole food security business. So you're talking about people in transport, people in education, people in health, people in in Aboriginal organisations who cater to this community and we're bringing all of them together to map out a framework that will give us critical points of intervention that will most likely give us some headway in this space. There is no single solution to this which is why we have taken the trouble to talk to such a vast number of stakeholders in this uh, food security pathway. So you're talking about availability, accessibility, affordability, acceptability of healthy food and we've actually gone and spoken to different people in this path and we expect that once we have gone through it together and come to an agreement that these are the set of things we do in order to improve food security, we will then take the next step.
1: I think that it's now my responsibility to run with some of this stuff and I think that what we need to do now is talk about this to our elders, to our community, and because we've got to get them on side. And if they don't folly what we do doing, we're just uh, hang our head up against a brick wall. I think that now they're in a position that make a decision about themselves, about their health. They're interested. They know all the difficulties. They're turning their life around, and I think this is just the next step And how we can bring them in with us. So we need to grab the data was coming out of this research and run with it and spread it because her grandmother always said you don't own it you know you give it out and
0: you don't own it. it
1: yeah you've got to you got to share it you know
0: thank you to all for joining us on prevention works it's been really a fascinating conversation thank you thanks,
3: thanks you, gretchen
1: thank you very much for having us
0: Thanks to Darrell Wright from the Tharawal Aboriginal Corporation in Campbelltown, Sumitra Mutaya and Simone Sheriff, both from The Search Project, and at preventioncentre.org.au, you'll find more information into our guests and their work. You might also want to listen to renowned nutritionist Amanda Lee about who of us eats healthy and who doesn't. The answer might surprise you. I'm Gretchen Miller and I hope to catch you next time.